0: God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good to be together again. I am glad that you are here. I ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. When you get there, you can go to verse 3. Using that pew Bible in front of you, you can grab it and turn to page 82. If you happen to be here and you're grabbing that pew Bible and you don't have a Bible of your own, we would love for you to feel comfortable in taking that Bible, putting your name in the front of it, taking it with you, and then using it this week and every week. Exodus chapter 19, picking up in verse 3, we'll read here in just a moment. When it comes to health and fitness, we are often reminded to aim for 10,000 steps a day. You've probably heard that before. There's a chance that some of you right now have some kind of Fitbit watch or something that tracks your steps. If you do, show it to me. How many, how many of you look at church? I mean, there's a lot of those around here. They track our fitness. Some of you who are wearing this uh, information, this technology, are so diligent And I know this is true with some of you because I've spoken to you about it, that unless you hit your target number, unless your Fitbit or your watch tells you that you've hit your steps for the day, you can't rest. Some of you have told me you'll go out late at night, just walk around the neighborhood, walk around the house, just until your ring closes on your Fitbit. I love that kind of diligence. Diligence. This 10,000 steps per day goal seems to have originated, I did some digging this week, from um, a trade name, pedometer, that's an old word, in 1965 that was made by Yamasa Clock in Japan. The device was called a Manpo Kai, which translates to 10,000 steps meter, and it sorta has stuck for these 56 years. Research has shown that this step target, 10,000 steps, improves your heart health, your mental health, and even lowers your risk for diabetes. While some research shows that these health benefits at 10,000 steps are about five miles per day, other research has shown that the same benefits can come with steps as low as 4,400 steps per day. So for you that need to reach your goal, maybe... Coming short be OK, just a little bit. While the actual numbers may vary, it is clear that walking and other such exercise is good for you. You should be seeking to increase your steps each day to maximize your health the best you can. Now I checked my phone. I don't wear a smart watch. I wear a dumb watch, I guess. It doesn't do anything for me when it comes to that. It does tell me the time. And when I run, I can set it to where it tells me the laps per mile and all the stuff that I do. So it's not totally an ignorant phone, but it's not a smartphone. But my phone, whether I want to or not, it tracks my steps if I have it in my pocket. So I went and looked just for fun on June the 19th. And on June the 19th, church, I'll tell you that was the last day that we had our Mana Missions food giveaway. Now, if you were here that day, it was a beautiful day. We received a truck full of food, we worked all day. I got here a little after six. And then walked in the parking lot. But it's interesting. On that day, I went and checked. In the time that I was here, I walked 15,337 steps. And I never left the parking lot. (laughs) I walked inside. I walked outside. I was never more than 75 yards away from the front door of our church. And I looked at that number and I go, that is an awful lot of steps for going Nowhere. <laughs> this may also explain my disdain, even though I stay on them, my disdain or dislike of treadmills. You see, a lot of activity takes place on a treadmill, but you end up in the same exact place that you started. But it helps me get my steps in. So this morning we're going to read, but I've, I've extended the passage. I never could get the piece of, of just a small amount. So we're going to stay seated. Typically, we stand up. And read this, but we're going to read a little bit of an extended passage in Exodus chapter 19. So I will stay standing. You guys just stay seated and we'll work through this together. But in Exodus chapter 19, I'm going to start reading in verse 3 and I'm going to read through verse 25. I've actually timed how long this should take me to do this just because we want to be conscious of our time. But then God said, listen, don't ever apologize for reading the Word of God. If I have to say less in order for us to read more of God's Word, church, let me tell you, we will walk out better for it, okay? So read with me, or I'll read. You guys follow along with me. Exodus chapter 19, picking up in verse three. "'And Moses went up to God, "'and the Lord called to him from the mountain, "'saying, "'Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, "'and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day, For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. So all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up you and Aaron with you but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Now, this is where I would tell you to sit down, but you're already down. And sometimes I just get in a habit of, of saying things like that. You know, there are many things in this chapter that we should discuss. And I'm going to unfold those things to you and tell you a story about what God did in and through me as he was teaching me this week. But the first thing I want to let you know is that after Exodus 19, we're going to Exodus 20. And you're going, duh. And in Exodus 20, we know that's where the Ten Commandments reside. And that's like the pinnacle point of the book of Exodus. And church, here's a warning that I want to take personally and encourage you. There are times when we are looking forward so much to our birthday, whenever your birthday is, or when you're looking forward to Christmas, or you're looking forward to your baptism, or you're looking forward to a special day like Addy Day. Okay? We have these days, and if you're new and you're gonna don't know what Addy Day is, it'll become clear if you just keep coming, okay? But if we're not careful, we will be so special day minded that we will miss out on what God has for us in the days before. And I was guilty of looking ahead to Exodus chapter 20 when I needed to be absolutely dug in to Exodus chapter 19. And so there's an encouragement I want to give you. Stay in the word, all of the word. You know, when you go to scripture, it says that the word is good for teaching us and disciplining us and growing us all the words it says, even Exodus 19. Now, we should discuss for just a moment Moses' step count. And you're going, Jeff, that is the weirdest thing for you to bring up, because I've never heard about Moses' step count before. But did you notice in Scripture, as we read this together, that Moses ascends and descends Mount Sinai in chapter 19 three times. And he's told that right after chapter 19, he's going to be going up again. I'll tell you, in verse 3, he goes up. Verse 7, he comes down. In verse 8, he goes up. In verse 14, he comes down. In verse 20, he goes up. In verse 25, he comes back down to the people. Now, I'm not sure how many actual steps Moses got in during this time. But this, this is evidence of Moses and God having a vibrant and daily relationship. This is proof of them spending time together. This is proof of Moses being an obedient servant of God and faithful. And as I was reading this and noticing Moses' constant motion, up and down, up and down, to God, I said, the Spirit said to me, he said, Jeff, what's your step count to God? How often do you walk before him? How often do you come before him? And it's not enough. Church, can I ask you, what's your spiritual step count? When it comes to looking at what God is doing, how often do you find yourself before him? Desiring to obediently hear him, walking before him. That's one of the things I saw in Exodus chapter 19 that we should discuss. The second thing that I saw that we should discuss is this phrase that we saw in um, verse 4. How I bore you on eagles' wings. Now, church, there's a lot there. God is describing the benefits that he has brought to the children of Israel. If you look back at verse 4, God says something summarized like this. You see what I've done days past, how I am carrying you days present, and how I will bring you to me days future. What I've done, what I am doing, and what I will do. This phrase bore me on eagle's wings. God wouldn't let me get away from it, so I just started studying it. And, church, let me tell you when you read scripture and something sticks out to you, that's God trying to teach you something, and you should dig in and read it and read it and don't leave it until God gives you clarity on what He has for you in that scripture. But this phrase bore you on eagle's wings, let me help. Let me allow scripture to help us understand what this eagle's wings, how I bore you on eagle's wings means. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, if you're a note taker, you wanna write down verses 10 and 11. We're not gonna turn there, I'm just gonna read it to you. Deuteronomy 32 verses 10 and 11 says this. He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland and a howling wilderness and he encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up and carrying them on its wings, stirring up a nest. I did a little eagle studying, and here's what happens in their real habitat. Eagles have eaglettes. So does Shelbyville, right? (laughs) That just hit me right then. I probably should have not said anything. But eagles have eaglets, and there comes a time when the mom's taking care of everything and brings it all the way back to the nest. But their practice is, and as Scripture just picked up there, there comes a time when it's time for the eaglets to leave the nest to begin to grow, and it says that the mom begins to tear the nest up. She's saying, time for you to go. And these eagles, or these eaglets, they begin to make their way out of the nest, but they're still trying to figure out. And have you noticed, eagles, they nest really, really high. It's a dangerous place to be an eaglet going, but mom's tearing down the house, we got to (laughs) go. And they jump out, and they try to fly, and they can't do it. And then mom comes down and swoops under them when they're falling, not yet figuring it out, and catches them and bears them up on her wings. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a picture not only of God being there for you, but it's a picture of God putting you where you need to be so that you begin to grow to be what he's planned for you to be. You know, you never get to be a big eagle that we celebrate a lot on the 4th of July. You see an eagle and everybody goes crazy. But you know, you don't get there if you stay in the nest and this bearing on eagles' wings, so let's keep going. Psalm 103, verses two and five says, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, "'and forget not all his benefits, "'who forgives all your iniquities, "'who heals all your diseases, "'who redeems your life from destruction, "'who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, "'who satisfies your mouth with good things, "'so that your youth is renewed like the eagles.'" This is a picture, church, of salvation. God is seeking to help us to grow, to become mature in him, to be renewed, to take seriously our calling. And then Isaiah 40, 31, probably the one that most people would recognize, says, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, God has promised as we come to know him and as we yield ourselves to him and walk before him to strengthen us and to prepare us to go out into this world and do the things that he has planned for us to do. And church, it's time for us to come out of the nest. Every week, God's just making me more and more certain that the church needs to come out of the nest. We need to learn to fly, even if we struggle. You're going, I don't know how to share Jesus. I don't know how to live this way. God will show you, but not in the nest. It's time to step out, church. It's time for us to begin to fly. It's time for us to allow God to teach us how to be effective in his kingdom work that he's planned for us. A third thing that we should discuss in Exodus chapter 19 would be the word consecrated. Verse 10 says, consecrated as we come before the Lord. And verse 11 says, and let them be ready. It was said again in a later verse. Consecration, when you look it up, means to be set aside for a sacred use. God calls for Moses to consecrate the people. The time frame is three days prior to them coming before the Lord. Did you see in Scripture that the Lord is going to be coming to them? It's a time of preparation, a time of cleansing, a time of thinking, a time of doing it together. As I think and pray and study Exodus chapter 19, I come to a realization that I usually do not take the time to understand the privilege and the right and the command that I have to present myself to him, to the Lord, as a living sacrifice. I must yield myself to him and be able, to be able to stand in his presence. I don't enough. And scripture teaches in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Also in Hebrews 12, 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. And God is saying, I'm coming to you in three days. And in these three days, you need to get ready. You need to get ready. And I'm thinking, Lord, I just come before you just haphazardly all the time without becoming ready. We take the Lord's Supper. Paul talks about this getting ready as a... Uh, allowing a man to examine himself so that he doesn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Note the links that God goes to to protect the people from not being ready. Verse 12, he sets bounds for the people around the mountain. They're not to touch the mountain or they die. You notice that the people who touch the mountain and die, you're not supposed to touch them. It says that they finished dying either by being stoned or shot with an arrow. God's pretty serious about you. You be ready. You listen to what I tell you to do. Verse 13 says that you can come near the mountain when called by the trumpet. Verse 15 says you need to set aside all your other relationships for a moment. When you're preparing yourself to come before the Lord, nothing else is important. Verse 21, he tells Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through and gaze. Now, I really liked this statement, and then I didn't like it, and then I liked it again, because it says, Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they gaze. You know what that means? That means the people are trying to get a peek. You ever been someplace where there was a curtain and you're trying to see behind it? You want to see what's going on? You get a gaze? And then God convicted me, how often do I just want to get a gaze of God? I don't want to know him. I don't want to yield to him. I'm just curious, and I want to get a gaze And we do things to try to get a good glimpse of God. Let me ask you a question, church. Do you desire to see God or know God? Exodus 19 says, God's not interested in you getting a gaze of him. God is interested in you yielding to him and knowing him. Verse 22 says, remind the priest to be consecrated. Church, I was reminded here there are no exceptions to being ready to come before God. Some would say, Jeff, you're a pastor. Surely God gives you special privileges to come before him. No. If I am not ready, if I don't examine myself, this morning as I came in, I left the house. It's 8.6 miles from my house to the church. And that's the time when God calls me to pray. And I started praying about all the things that God was laying on my heart that were heavy, that could get in the way of me doing my my responsibility. Different fears, different concerns, different perspectives that I needed to have. And I tried to yield them all up to him. Church, I'm just a man. There are no exceptions. Every single one of us, me included, need to get ready before we come before God. Verse 24 says, Moses, away. What that means is hurry, go down and remind the people, lest I judge them. And I thought this was very interesting. Look at verse 23. Because God's told him, he said, Moses, you better go down and warn them. Moses says this in verse 23. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us to not. That Moses, he's just so naive. You know, he thinks that just because God says don't, that the people are going to don't. (laughs) Sorry, Angela, I know I just butchered the grammar right there. (laughs) Right, that's what he thinks. God's word says don't, so we don't. But how many of us know what God's word says, but yet we do not allow it to be what we do? And Moses is saying, God, those people aren't going to come up here. You told them not to. And God says, Moses, you better hurry and get down there. That's what it says. Verse 25, I mean, verse 24, you better hurry. Moses may be showing good faith in Israel's obedience, but God knows us too well, loves us enough to go to the great lengths over and over again to protect us because coming before God is not something to be taken lightly. Having an appropriate fear and understanding of the Lord prepares us to come before him. I did a little example, I did a little research in scripture. Scripture tells us this about fear. Appropriately coming before God. Job 28 says that fear is wisdom. Proverbs one says fear is knowledge. Proverbs 10 says it prolongs life. Proverbs 14 says it is a fountain of life. And it brings strong confidence. Psalm 128 and many, many, many others say that fear brings blessings. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20 that we're going to be getting to, that fear helps us to not sin. Proverbs 14 again says that fear helps us to walk uprightly, will lead us to repentance or the right view of ourselves, says Proverbs 3.7. So should we be fearful of God? You know, sometimes in this world we've said, Well, they don't really mean fear. They mean sort of respect. Church, let me tell you, God means fear, okay? Now, God wants you to respect him. God wants you to love him. God wants you to trust him. But as we read scripture, we need to understand that this God that we sometimes unworthily come before in an unprepared manner, that same God just closed the Red Sea on all of Egypt. That same God killed Achan because he didn't obey the rules at Jericho. That same God knows exactly how to get us to the point that he wants us to get to. Amen? So we need to understand that this fear is having the appropriate understanding of who God is compared to the appropriate understanding of who we are and not ever getting those two understandings out of order. This will make certain that we see God properly and that we understand our absolute dependence upon God through his son, Jesus. You know, Jesus is the only way that we can stand before God. And because of Jesus and his blood, we are seen as perfect, righteous, and holy. If you know Jesus as your savior, I mean, God testifies that you are a saved individual. When God looks at you, he sees you perfect, holy, and righteous. And if you're going, Jeff, I don't understand that, you need to come see me. Because I can unpack that for you and that's a wonderful blessing to understand, but it's not right now. But it's right there for you. Moses could only lead them to physical cleanliness, to physical preparation. It is God and God alone who consecrates us, who calls us to be ready to come before him through the blood of Jesus. As I was reading Exodus chapter 19, I said, well, we should study the responsibility that we have to share the words of God to those that don't know them. Look at verse 7. God had spoken to him. and he said, you go tell the people. And what Moses did in verse 70, Moses called the elders of the people and shared with them, that's the elders, the words which the church, which the Lord commanded him. If you recall, these elders were set up in within the children of Israel, which are two and a half million people or more. They were set up to allow for the appropriate functioning of the people, the appropriate communication to the people. And so when God tells Moses to tell the people. What God meant was Moses, go down and tell the elders and tell the elders to go tell the people. In our terms today, God is saying, Jeff, you go tell the church that it's their responsibility to leave the church and go tell those who don't know about Jesus the words of God. That's why we're here, church. I love seeing us all together. I love the unity that God wants to bring to us as we're finally all in one room together. But the reason we're here together is so that we can break and go out and share the words of God with the world that needs to know and understand His love for them. Verse 8 says, Then all the people answered, The people responded to God as Moses was faithful to share to the elders, and the elders were faithful to share to the people. Church, can I tell you that we have a joyous opportunity, not a burden. We have an opportunity that's great, that I believe that so many times we each fear and try to stay away from too much. We have the opportunity being People who know Jesus, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the opportunity to share the words of God about sin, about righteousness, about life and death, about heaven and hell, about peace, forgiveness, comfort, and love, things we have received from the words of God that were shared with us. I look back and think back of the people who took time to share with me the words of God. If you teach children you're sharing the words of God. If you teach youth, you're sharing the words of God. If you teach adults, you're sharing the words of God. If you seek to witness to somebody outside, you're sharing the words of God. And we should joyfully seek out this opportunity to share. Church, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. We must not underestimate the power of the gospel. You see, if we know Jesus as Savior, you really know him, This sharing of the words of God should be a natural outpouring of our lives. Think about it this way for just a second. Somebody shared the words with you about God. And you didn't believe them. And then you did. God worked in your life and then you did. And your eyes opened up and your heart opened up and you go, "Wow, I never knew that before." And you accept Jesus. How do I know that's true? Cuz I can look at people in this room that I have spoken to and I have seen your eyes open up and I have seen your heart get big when you go, "Oh, I finally realize God's love for me." What a responsibility. What a joy. Now, these are four great points from Exodus chapter 19. Are we coming before God regularly? What's your spiritual step count? A call to leave the nest. Trust God. Live up to your calling. Live by faith that we must come before the Lord appropriately, prepared, repentant, and in the name of Jesus alone. Ask God to check your spirit, your intent, and your attitude every day as you prepare to come before him and that we must share the words of God with those who do not know. Third week in a row, get to make this statement. The Great Commission is your responsibility. Mine too. But it's not mine, and you guys get to ask me how I'm doing. It's our responsibility, each one of us individually, sharing about Jesus. So when I sat down to write the sermon this week, I had a singular point in mind. I had read Exodus chapter 19, and I had one point. I'm thinking, God, that is a fabulous point. Thank you so much for teaching me and for allowing us to learn it together. But as I prayed and as I read and as I studied and I desired to share what God wanted to this day, he just kept pouring out this and this and this and this, these four points. So much so, that the greatest point, I believe, that God has for us in Exodus chapter 19, this life-changing point, this aha moment point, God said, you'll tell them that next week. So yes, Jeff, what are we preaching on next week? Exodus chapter 19. Because I'll tell you, church, that if you will take these four points and you dig into Scripture, God, I promise you, if you seek him, God will show us something next week that these four build to allow us to do. Now, the thing about it is I don't say that so I'll get you to come back. I'm not the one you come for anyway. It's God that will bring you back. And I pray that it's God who causes you to spend a lot of time in Exodus chapter 19 this week. And I think it's absolutely amazing. I've been thinking about the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments for weeks. And God says, whoa, don't go to the Ten Commandments. We're not there yet. You stay in the Word where I have you, and I will prepare you to move forward when it's time to move forward. Amen? So Exodus chapter 19, study that. Allow these points to challenge your life. But church, this is not an ending point. There is absolutely something you need to do today what's your step count? Are you coming before God with the right attitude and intent? Are you ready to share his word with people? Amen.